I walked outside and and I was saying something and what I was thinking was not what came out of my mouth. It was just like jumbled and my heart just like sank into my toes. So I ran inside and tried to say to my boyfriend the best that I could, I can't talk. So I went and tried to talk to my son. I tried to read something, but what I was looking at on the paper, like I knew what it said, but I couldn't say it. And then my boyfriend came back upstairs and I showed him that I couldn't read. And so we left immediately and went to the hospital, which is only like 15 minutes away. Within the hour, I was able to talk again. What I was not aware of at that time was a visual impairment that had started. And today, two and a half years later, I'm still working with doctors to figure out exactly what is wrong with my vision, still seeking answers, but trying to nurture my recovery without answers, trying to make sure that I'm mentally okay, mentally, you know, fit so that I don't end up reaching for a drink and thinking that that's a solution. So I'm kind of double fisting recovery, if if you will. (laughs) Hello, Mark Goodyear here. This is Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. Today, we'll hear from Rachel Miller, who lives in Sterling, Virginia. Rachel suffered a stroke at the age of 46. So before I had my stroke, I was at a job that I absolutely loved (laughs) and focusing on digital marketing. So I had joined the company that I just left. I was a marketing director And one year into my employment at this company, I actually reached a very low point in my life where I needed to admit that I was an alcoholic and I needed help. So this company actually helped me to get sober. They were supportive. And and so that just kind of strengthened my loyalty towards them. And I gave it like all I had to work for this company. And and I just really loved it. It was a way for me to be creative, a way to use my analytical skills, all of that stuff. And um, I'm kind of an overachiever. I'm very active. I don't like to um, sit around. So I was really working about 10, 12 hour days at the time. Um, And then one day I was working at home and I took my dog outside to go to the bathroom and I was kind of talking to myself because that's what that's what we all do and don't admit it. And um, I walked outside and and I was saying something and what I was thinking was not what came out of my mouth. It was just like jumbled and my heart just like sank into my toes. So I ran inside and tried to say to my boyfriend the best that I could, I can't talk. And he looked at me kind of like I had three heads. And he, I think, said, go talk to my son. 
I think what he was doing was signing off of work to bring me to the hospital. So I went and tried to talk to my son. I tried to read something, but what I was looking at on the paper, like I knew what it said, but I couldn't say it. And then my boyfriend came back upstairs and I showed him that I couldn't read. And so we left immediately and went to the hospital, which is only like 15 minutes away. And when we got there, they immediately took me back and hooked me up to everything. I went and got an MRI. I was still having the stroke at the time. Rachel was given a clot-busting drug. Within the hour, I was able to talk again. What I was not aware of at that time was a visual impairment that had started. And today, two and a half years later, I'm still working with doctors to figure out exactly what is wrong with my vision. I've gone to an optometrist, a neuro-ophthalmologist, and um, am now going to be going to a neurotologist to take a look at my vestibular system because my vision system is completely intact. So they're still not sure what's wrong with me. I got the clot buster. I was in ICU for overnight and then they put me in my individual room. I was in the hospital for five days. And at that time, uh, still I was having some challenges finding words. I couldn't really focus um, on a sentence long enough to, to, I would get kind of lost in my sentences, but it wasn't bad enough for them to send me to a speech therapist. I still have that same struggle, but it's only something that I notice. Other people don't necessarily notice that I'm having such a problem. It's really exhausting to speak is what the issue is. And it's been that way since I had my stroke. So in the hospital, I had a headache. And it was just this, like, underlying headache that wouldn't go away. They tried to give me Tylenol. They couldn't give me Advil, I guess, because they don't give that in the hospital. I'm not sure. The problem was that I was really hesitant to take too strong of a medication because I didn't want to jeopardize my sobriety. So my sobriety has really come into play. And that's why I brought it up earlier is as I start dealing with this chronic migraine that I'm dealing with, I have to be really careful about what I take. So in the hospital, I just had this underlying headache. They tried to give me different things. We got to the point where they gave me Percocet, but it still didn't do anything. I still just had this headache and nobody could figure out why I had the headache. I followed up with all of these doctors, you know, you have to see a cardiologist or neurologist, you know, all of these different doctors, hematologists, all that stuff. They couldn't figure out why I had a headache, why I had the stroke to begin with, but why I had a headache also. My neurologist said, most people don't have a headache after a stroke. So we're just going to wait until you're a year after your stroke to see if the headache goes away, if you're, you know, you're starting to recover. So I'm thinking in the back of my mind, so we're going to wait a year (laughs) 
for me to have a headache, but that's exactly what happened. I waited a year and I had a headache for that entire year. And I went back and, and that's when they started to give me different prescriptions for migraines. So I took two different prescriptions. Neither of them worked and they didn't even touch it. And at this point, I was having sharp pains in my head. So we're kind of fast forwarding, actually, like when I got to a year past my stroke date, and I went back and they gave me this prescription, and it didn't work. I was working this whole time. Like when I took short term disability, after I had the stroke, that was three months. And then right before I was supposed to go on long term disability, I'm like, no, no, no. I'm fine. I'm 46 years old. I can talk. I can walk. Everything's fine. I just have this headache. I'm just going to go back to work. And I think that really was denial is what it was. So I went back to work for two years and incrementally, I just started getting worse and worse and worse. So at the beginning of this year, I started having these sharp pains in my head to the point where I just couldn't even look at the computer anymore. I couldn't look at my phone. I couldn't even look at my doc, look my doctor in the eye. It was that painful. They tried to give me these different migraine medications. Nothing was working. So finally I was able to just a few months ago, start taking an injectable migraine treatment called Mgality. And that finally took away most of the sharp pain. So today I don't have this constant sharp pains. I do have a constant headache still. Um, two and a half years later, I have had a headache every day since then. But about June, I finally like accepted that I can't live like this anymore. I have to walk away from my job. This job that I love, this job that I was loyal to, this job that I felt like was keeping me sober also. You know, it was it was very difficult for me. I felt very much like for several months I was grieving the loss of this family and this job, but I know that I was doing the right thing. And so over, it's been six months since I walked away from my job. And because I'm not on the computer every day, uh, because I can make a decision to not go on my phone or do these things that bother my head, my migraines have gotten better. They're still there. And they're still not quite sure what is causing them. But I don't know. Hopefully, we're getting closer to determining what that is. So today, over the past six months not working, I have been trying to figure out the things that I can do that still that bring me joy. Because with these visual issues and my headaches, there's so much that I can't do anymore. So I can't drive. I can't ride in the car with my eyes open. I can't. I'm a very active person. Um, I can't bike. I can't kayak. I haven't watched TV 
in six months because I can't handle movement. Even walking my dog is difficult for me because when I'm outside, like there's so much movement. Um, Even if I were to look at the ground, when I'm walking, the ground is moving and that hurts my head and makes me nauseous as well. So this is really the challenges where I'm at right now, still seeking answers, but trying to nurture my recovery without answers, trying to make sure that I'm mentally okay, mentally, you know, fit so that I don't end up reaching for a drink and thinking that that's a solution. So I'm kind of double fisting recovery, if if you will. (laughs) I have both my stroke recovery and my sobriety that are in the forefront of that's my job now. Recovery is my job now. Coming up, Rachel talks about getting through the tough times. There are days that are just really, really hard. And last week I had a couple of those days. They were really hard. But on the third day, I started to lift up again. You know, I started to rise up again. And you can hear the difference over those th- the course of, of last week, how I was down, I was struggling, but I am recovering out loud. And the support of her boyfriend. He smiles and remains positive. And I know there are days that he is exhausted, absolutely exhausted. Like I can't drive anymore. I have a hard time reading directions to like cook dinner or anything. So he does all of these things. And never once does he complain. Never once does he let me see that stuff that's hard for him. Let's hear about Rachel's podcast. My podcast was something that, you know, I never aspired to be a podcaster. It wasn't something that I was, I longed to do. But the first day that I walked away from my job, I called my brother and I said, I need you to start a podcast account for me. There wasn't some grand scheme behind that. I just knew I, I was sitting, I think, outside in front of my house and I was very upset. I was crying, you know, because I was giving up everything that I had worked for so long. You know, that's what I thought. I thought I was giving up everything that I had worked for. My boyfriend later reminded me that I was looking at it all wrong, that everything that I was working for is right here in this house, you know, the family. And so it's been all about perspective. So my brother started this podcast for me. And if you listen to the very first episode, I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) I even have my dog bark in the background and I can hear, sometimes I go back and listen to that episode because you can hear the just grief in my voice. It's, I was so desperate to find some way to grow, to not sink into some kind of depression. And I realized that if I can't use my eyes, 
I can't use digital devices. What can I do? Because I have to use my voice. And that's what I was like, that's exact. that's it. You know, I learned in sobriety about how healing, sharing our experiences are with each other. And I thought that is, that's the healing that I need. I need to use my voice. And by doing this, I'm not only going to help myself, but I bet I'm going to reach other people that whether they are uh, recovering from a stroke, whether they are in uh, sobriety, whether they have a drinking problem and they're not yet in sobriety, you know, we're all recovering from something, whether it's, you know, somebody in college recovering from a breakup, you know, we're all trying to navigate life with no handbook. And the best that we can share our experiences with each other, the less we all have to repeat mistakes. So I have started this podcast and I am so passionate about it. I From day one, I have not missed a single day that I have not recorded an episode, even days that that I don't want to and I don't feel like it because I bookend my day focused on recovery. I start my day with a sobriety meeting at 7 a.m. and I end my day recording my podcast. And that helps me to make sure I am spiritually, um, emotionally, mentally and physically aligned. And that's the only way I think that I'm going to continue to get better is to keep sharing my voice. And and the episodes, they don't just talk about stroke recovery. They don't just talk about sobriety. They talk about anything that I'm going through on any given day. If I'm upset about something, I will cry and I won't cut it out of the episode because I want people to see the ugly side of this, the dirty, ugly side of recovery. There are lots of podcasts that that I've listened to and I've tried to connect with actually that only show the the positive, the encouraging, you know, and that's wonderful. But I think it's important to show how difficult it is, you know, that there are days that are just really, really hard. And last week I had a couple of those days. They were really hard. But on the third day, I started to lift up again. You know, I started to rise up again. And you can hear the difference over those th- the course of, of last week, how I was down, I was struggling, but I am recovering out loud. I'm trying to share what ideas I have for even myself to lift myself back up out of those tough times. And the advice she has for other stroke survivors. The advice that I would give a stroke survivor is to join a community. There are so many people out there who have had a stroke. I used to think before I had the stroke that only people 
who, you know, look like they had a stroke are the ones that had a stroke. I had no idea how many people in the world have suffered from a stroke that look totally normal, but are struggling on the inside and not just from these deficiencies, whether they're visual, whether they're aphasia, you know, that's all stuff you can't see. But there's this mental health side of it. You know, my life is never going to be the same. As much as over the past two and a half years, I tried to fight it and make my life the same as it was before my stroke. I came up, you know, with with my hands empty, you know, there were I, I couldn't do it because my life is never going to be the same. And there's so many people out there that I'm sure are thinking my life is never going to be the same. I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, I don't know what's left for me. My life is not going to end up the way that I had planned. Well, my advice is to be open and accepting to the idea that maybe life wasn't meant to turn out the way that you planned it. Maybe it's going to turn out better than the way that you would have planned it. And so that's my advice for for somebody who is a stroke survivor. I think for caregivers, I have an incredible incredible, incredible caregiver. He's my boyfriend. He has not ever asked a single question. It's like the best thing that he does for me is he smiles and remains positive. And I know there are days that he is exhausted, absolutely exhausted. Like I can't drive anymore. I have a hard time reading directions to like cook dinner or anything. So he does all of these things and never once does he complain. Never once does he let me see that stuff that's hard for him. But I think that and hope that he has a support group as well. So I think making sure that you try to find things to be grateful for and understand that caregivers need support too because you can't keep carrying everything yourself. We all need to lean on each other, whether we are the actual stroke survivor or we're the caregiver. Rachel's stroke has left her suffering from constant migraines and as a result, she's had to give up work in order to focus on her recovery. She's also started a podcast called The Recovery Daily Podcast. Check it out, where Rachel hopes to help other survivors through their post-stroke life. Thanks for listening and supporting. Please do recommend Stroke Stories to anybody you think it might help. And if you are, or you know of a stroke survivor, and there's a story you can share, our DMs are always open on X and Instagram. The Stroke Stories Podcast is produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening.